Hi, doctor. Hi, dad. So today we're talking about the state of primary care in the U.S., but I'd like to start by talking about the state of primary care in Western Omaha, <laughs> where you are. Um, so give me a give me an update on your practice. Actually, even before that, let's um, remind listeners that you run your own direct primary care practice. So what is a primary care practice? A direct primary care practice. Um, so this is like a question that I constantly alter the, <laughs> the like 60 second response. Yeah. Um, but it's when you say direct primary care, it's more of the direct relationship between the patient and just the doctor. So a direct primary care doc doesn't work for a hospital system, isn't owned by any other group. Um, so it's just them. And then the, there's no, um, administration kind of thing. There's no hospital system, um, overarching, you know, the, the, the clinic, it's just the doc's clinic. But when you think about direct primary care and what that means, I usually tell people it's like what you would think of for concierge medicine or concierge private doctor, because that's the typical kind of level of service. I mean, maybe not what you think of with like celebrities who have their own private physician, but the care that you get is very much like a concierge, you know, doctor level service, but concierge medicine is its own thing because a concierge doctor is taking, you know, some retainer monthly or annual fee, which can be very high. Um, And they're also billing your insurance just the same. So your insurance and your co-pays and your deductible and all that stuff is still acting the same. And then you're also paying to have that doctor, you know, be your doctor with direct primary care. We do not bill insurance. So the only thing we are, um, we are kind of invoicing is just your membership fee. So it's usually a monthly membership fee. Um, and, and that's it. So what you don't, deal with as a patient is then, you know, oh, I have a high deductible plan. I get one free physical a year, everything else I have to pay completely out of pocket um, until my deductibles met. And you know that that inherently deters you from going to the doctor. I mean, I can tell you um, I'm having a baby in this calendar year. So that prompted me to go to the dermatologist and get something removed that I've been wanting removed and to get a skin check and whatever, because I was like, well, my deductible is going to be met. So at some point this year, so it doesn't matter um, when really I should have done it two years ago. Right. Right. It's very, very, it's very liberating, so to speak, to know when you've hit your deductible. Cause then you're like, let me do this perverse incentive. Yes, (laughs) exactly. So the, it takes away that like, oh, well, gosh, do I really need to reach out? Do I really need to make a visit? Um, Because I don't want to pay this full office visit for just for them to tell me I just have a cold, you know, that kind of thing. So it takes that away. It takes away um, you being tied to insurance for things like, well, insurance isn't going to cover this lab. So, you know, we can't get it because they're going to put a big price tag on it and you're going to be stuck with the bill you know, four weeks later. So we're able to do stuff, you know, more cash pay. And some people are like, well, then why do I have insurance? And 
for the same reason you have car insurance, you know, like you have it for that big event. You have it for that surgery that you didn't expect to need. You have it for that diagnosis that requires hospitalization or expensive medications or specialty, you know, care. Right. The, um, the, 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 the large things that are not self-insurable. Right. Exactly. And, you know, ideally in a perfect world, your primary care doctor can, take care of 80 to hundred percent of what you need in your, with, yep. with your year to year healthcare. But when your primary care doctor is stuck in a system, you know, where they have to see 20 to 30 people a day, um, you're going to be referred out for stuff that they otherwise would be able to take care of just because they don't have the time and resources to devote to it. So when you think of it that way, you know, I try to avoid, patients doing anything with their insurance unless we're met with some kind of situation where they have to see you know a d- another doctor specialist. Or yeah and and you know what i found to be very surprising when you started your practice is how inexpensive let's say lab tests were or yeah or it's kind of a joke diagnostic mm-hmm. you know tests or what have you yep um, yep i mean people are making money off of labs right so whether it's you know, that wellness hormone doctor who gets a huge panel and, or, you know, I'll say doctor, but lots of times they're not medical doctors and they're charging like $2,000, but you think you're getting all this, you know, really insightful stuff. Um, they're making money off of those labs because the labs don't cost that much. Or you go to your regular doctor and run it through insurance and there's a phlebotomy fee, you know, venipuncture fee, meaning a fee to just have your blood drawn by somebody. And then for example, like a vitamin D level can be charged anywhere from 80 to like 160 bucks, depending on your insurance plan. But a vitamin D level is like $8. Wow. Um, <laughs> a lipid panel, a, a basic lipid panel, not like a advanced lipid panel is three bucks. Um, a advanced lipid panel with like more information than you really need um, is $18. That's, that's what I get. Um, yeah. And, and, it's, um, and, and, I remember getting charged for it and I want to say it was over $300. Yeah, exactly. So because, you know, everything, this kind of stuff is a business, but in a direct primary care practice, I'm not needing or wanting to make money off of the lab draw and the actual labs themselves. And so I, you know, you're able to just pass on these um, at cost charges to the patient. So they're not incurring all these extra you know, things. And it's just stuff that no one is aware of. And then the other big difference, obviously, with direct primary care is the time. So I never book people for less than an hour unless they need to just be in and out quickly. Um, You don't have 2,500 patients. You know, you have 200 to 600 patients. Um, So you have much more time for for visits and telemedicine and it's more convenient and you're not going to call and get sent to three different triages and voicemails um, and not be able to talk to your doctor because you're typically, you can't just talk to your doctor um, because they just, if they did that with all of their patients, they wouldn't be able to get any, they wouldn't be able to see patients in the office and all of that stuff. So um, it's just a much more kind of personal and direct way to do primary care. And and your current rates are Um, for adults. 150 a month. Yep. 
and and if it's a couple you, there's a little bit of a discount for that or yeah there's a 20 percent discount for the second adult um and then there's different tiers um for different aged kids kids too. gotcha that's you know i it, it is compared to you know standard primary care it is your it is the best deal going and i and there are different gradations like some direct primary care docs may charge eighty dollars per patient right you know yeah. there's a range some direct primary care doctors may charge five hundred dollars per month per patient you know the right. higher level ones so every practice is its own is, practice is a, right? a little different but yeah. i gotta say so you know so the only thing i can speak to to is yours and i did have an experience prior to you with um kind of a chain of concierge mm -hmm. docs called mdvip which um, it, they're, they're concierge because as you described, they also charge my insurance. Right. Um, but their, their, their monthly charge or actually they charge quarterly, but over the course of a year, their charges were almost exactly what yours are. Um, and plus insurance, plus, plus insurance on top of that. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that didn't necessarily come out of my pocket, you know? Um, so, but I can say that, so that MDVIP was definitely better than going to a standard right primary Absolutely. care with yep. 2500 patients she might have had 600 i think she had yeah but um using you um is several steps above that now granted you're, you're my daughter mm -hmm. um but but i see what you do for your other patients and you are the best deal now not everyone can afford you know exactly correct a month. so correct. So granted, but if you can afford it, yep. there is no better deal. So this is an advertisement now to, <laughs> for, uh -huh. for uh, Aspire MD practice in Western Omaha. Um, <laughs> you ought to give the phone number. I, I'm just, I'm joking. But, um, <laughs> but they can, uh, they can find going. me. That's still going, but yeah. Okay. So, um, anything else? So, um, obviously I know things are going well for you. You've got, you know, close to a full patient panel or thereabouts. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add about your practice before we shift to the general state of, uh, primary care in the U S. Um, I would just say, um, that there's direct primary care offices opening up more, every single day. Um, it's becoming more well-known. Um, and I do hear similar, um, statements that like, once you do it, you really can't go back. Um, but they are, when you see one direct primary care office, you've seen one. So mm -hmm. they are all a little bit different. So if you are discouraged, you know, maybe in your experience with one, um, that doesn't mean that it's going to be the same at all of them. And I can't come up with any way unless, honestly, you know, there is, you cannot, um, afford that added monthly expense that it, it isn't far superior than the traditional. And, and important. Care. I mean, you're, you're on the front lines of that, you know, you're like the, the, the general and for that person's medical. Yeah, know, it is. Needs. Your primary care doctor is extremely important and people, and we'll get into a little bit of that, but don't realize it and kind of think like, you know, it is the field needed. Um, and it's so interesting. So often someone will go to a specialist for XYZ problem. And, you know, that specialist is looking at that one system or that one, one thing and, and not anything else. So let's say, you know, I have someone who's had, have, has had like some GI issues that may be mixed with, you know, some 
hormones related to periods, that sort of thing, right? So you go to GI, GI is literally just being like, okay, well, your scope is fine. You don't have XYZ. Like that's, that's it. And then the OB is like, well, I think, you know, this and that with your hormones are fine and they do their thing, um, which are all very valuable, but, and then like you're out on, on, on your way. Um, and if you're just stuck in that kind of thing, no one's looking at the full picture and stuff honestly gets, gets lost, um, because they're busy too. And right. they're, they're honed in on what they they're are. Specialized. Narrow, yeah. Their narrow view of, of what they're, what, what they're, they're dealing doing. with. Yeah. Yep, you need to take a more holistic um, view. So and I, there's all kinds of um, statistics around the better health outcomes if you have a primary care doc of whatever, you know, mm-hmm. flavor it, it might be versus I think it's like 25 percent of U.S. adults don't have a primary care doc some, somewhere in that. that to be range. honest, that statistic um, sounds better than I thought it was. Oh, really? You thought it might be even more. It, it, it even depends more. on, on, you know, how people are categorizing primary true. care docs as, as yeah. well. And, you know, because uh, it, it's probably true that less, much less than 75% of Amer- adult Americans get an annual physical. Correct. Right? Which would right. mean just the tip of the iceberg yeah. in terms of that relationship with your yep. primary care doc. Yeah, so. it's true. Cool. Um, so there, there was, Several things caught my eye um, with regard to the state of primary care in the U.S. recently that prompted kind of thinking about this as a topic. So one of them I saw was that um, like almost 150 clinicians exited health, the healthcare workforce in 2021 and 22. Obviously, COVID had something to do with that um, pandemic conditions and what have you. Um, but, uh, and and out of those 145,000, some were nurses, some were whatever, but 71,000 were physicians. Um, so that was, that's 7% of the country's total active physician workforce. Now, I'm not sure how many physicians, you have, I, I should have looked this up, I doubt you know off the top of your head, but I, I'm not sure how many physicians um, we mint out of medical school, let's say, every year or out of residency. But I got to believe it's, you know, maybe um, not 7% of total physicians out there. Yeah. Um, I even a step further, that is really um, how many residents, medical residents, um, graduate a year. And I can look that up. Well, and while, um, while you look that up, um, the the really surprising thing was that you know so there are two specialties internal medicine and family practice docs that led the way in terms of the number of physicians uh, yeah. leaving i'm sure at, at like it, so it was 8700 internal medicine which a lot of those are general practitioner docs correct yeah family practice docs and and 7800 pure you know family practice doctors um uh, followed by 6,000 clinical psychologists and yeah. 5,100 psychiatry yeah. psychiatrists. So I mean, it's the typical fields that there's more burnout in. Yeah. Um, well, and all the all the fields that we have too few physicians in to begin with. You know? Well, and there's very simple ways to fix the problem. Very, it's very simple. You know, what's, what's the solution? Tell me. Tell I, me. I mean, <laughs> you're as a primary care doctor because it's hard to open your own practice, right? It takes 
capital. It takes, you know, if you're coming out of medical school with so many loans, you know, so most people are becoming employed physicians, which is fine. Um, but if you want to fix this problem, then doctors need to be the ones who are running the ship as far as how their, their individual practices go. They need to, as for primary care, again, I say this all the time, like you can go to your specialist and have a 10 minute face-to-face conversation with them. And that can be sufficient, you know, like, mm-hmm. because it's literally, how are your eyes? It's literally, how are your kidneys? Um, here are your labs. This is what we need to do. Great. Blood pressure is fine. Go. Um, but with primary care, it's literally anything and everything, right? So it's preventative medicine. It's all the stuff you need to take care of to prevent stuff from happening. But then it's also acute care for all of the, you know, illnesses and chronic diseases that are going on. It's becoming, you know, primary diabetes management, um, you know, and hypertension and all this just everything, right? Mental health, huge part of it um, is mental health. And people can come in, you know, be on your schedule for a cold. And next thing you know, you they're telling you that, you know, they've been depressed and are <laughs> suicidal or, you know, anything like that can happen. Yeah. And if that comes, if that happens in anyone else, any specialist appointment, they're not expected one to obviously treat that and, and evaluate that. They just tell you to go see your regular doctor. Um, and we are the regular, quote unquote, regular doctors. So if you, if we know that primary care encompasses literally everything, you cannot give a doctor a schedule with 20 to 30 slots in it because that's not good medicine for one. Um, and you're going to cause burnout and you because that doctor also has to, you know, be following up on labs and imaging and phone calls and questions. Um, and the, the patient is getting such diluted care. And But there's nothing that anyone can do about it because this is how many patients you have to see because of, one, insurance reimbursements, the, what they reimburse us for our office visits versus a, you know, five-minute cataract surgery is profound. Um, <laughs> right. So if... And- it's 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 a business and they're business, and those, exactly. they're running like a business and we're going to talk a little bit about what's driving some of that and and a really interesting kind of um, trend in that um, but I also wanted to give you one other statistic that kind of relates back to uh, why um, you know in addition to to like physician burnout dissatis- job dissatisfaction the other issue is that um, that the average uh, adult um, medicine and general practitioner, practitioner, practice provider is 59 years old. That's the average. Yeah, because no one wants to go into it anymore. That is that <laughs> average. Um, I would that, never tell my, I would never recommend my child go into primary care. Well, so, so let's talk about this for a second because now they could take over my husband's ophthalmology practice <laughs> all day long. Right. Yeah. yeah. You see the difference in the, in the, uh, in the compensation, uh, but that's pure compensation and no, compensation, lifestyle, respect, job yeah. satisfaction. So, so let me, let me ask you this question. So in, you know, coming out of medical school, you wanted to be a surgeon and you actually, you know, did a, uh, your first year of residency as a surgeon um, and loved it. But because of lifestyle choices, made the decision to to go into family medicine. Um, if you had to do it all over again, 
what path would you take? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I wouldn't have stayed in surgery. I know that because I know um, even just my transition from the traditional primary care world to direct primary care has been an absolute, like, it has been wonderful, but also completely needed for our lifestyle, unless you want to or can hire out help for everything right we need we need to we need to um, put this question in the context of your life which is two kids plus one on the way yeah so what like what do you want do you want i wanted to be home to have get my kids breakfast and ideally take them to school and not have them do before school care which all of these things are perfectly fine but it's just for me i didn't want to be 80% of my time, waking hours, you know, gone. Right, which which is the surgeon's life. Absolutely. I mean, no question. It's just, and someone told me, you know, and I completely agree with this and believe it to this day, is if you think you can be happy doing anything else besides surgery, don't do surgery. Right. You know, but I, and I knew that I didn't need to be a surgeon in order to like be fulfilled. My job is, um, part of my life, but I would say my family is, it comes first. Comes so first. it was never, it was honestly, once that kind of clicked, it was an easy decision. I don't know, looking back, you know, it's so hard because you know so little about each specialty in medical school. And then you just have to like pick right. what you right. want to do. Like and you get crapshoot. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you don't so, even get to do whatever you want. It also depends on your scores and that sort of thing. But I do, you know, think sometimes it would be nice to know everything about something and to, to not have, you know, to to be more narrowly focused. So if you could picture a specialty that, um, allowed you kind of the, 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 um, family life you wanted is, does it exist? Could it be like psychiatry? That, no, or... they, no, no, yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, it depends. I, it, it depends. They don't get paid much. Um, like, cause you also have to, you also have to feel like you're valued and, right. I, and right. primary care is getting a little bit better, but it's still, we're still talking about the bottom of the barrel here. Um, and in a lot of situations, people, what, what salaries are, um, it doesn't feel like you're at all valued for what you put in. And what you know, there are people don't realize they they have their primary care doctor who's a nurse practitioner or a PA or something. They these people are absolutely wonderful and have a role, no question. But when you compare the clinical hours and the education of a medical doctor to a nurse practitioner who can get your degree online um, or a PA who does two years after college, um, it's it's not, there, no, there's no comparison. There's no just comparison. no comparison. Um, so, but then, you know, you're being paid similarly and you're just not, you, you don't feel that kind of value. So if, if primary care was, I won't even say better respected, you don't go into primary care if you have an ego um, and want to be, you know, want to, want to be highly admired. Um but if they were better paid and had more autonomy over their practice, like it just irked me. I only did it for two and a half years, but the fact that like admins and nurses who had nothing to do with the, the 
medical care of these patients were dictating how we as the physicians practiced, you know, like I couldn't, um, I couldn't mark off 30 minutes for every patient over 60 who really needs a 30 minute visit, which translates to 15 minutes face to face, um, just bugged me more than anything. Like, I'm not going to let some, <laughs> someone tell me how to practice when I know it's subpar care. Um, but then there are, so then you think, okay, well, what's the difference between being a general surgeon whose lifestyle can be brutal um, and primary care, which comes with tons of, you know, downsides as well. You know, there are like a breast surgeon, right? You can go through all of the pains of general surgery and then specialize in, in just the breast and you're not going to get called with breast emergencies in the middle of the night. Ophthalmology is fantastic. You get to do, um, you're a surgeon and you're doing procedures. You're, you know, again, very few ophthalmologic emergencies. You get paid very well for what you do and patients are usually very happy. Primary care, patients are... <laughs> <laughs> especially in the traditional setting 50 50 if they're like even like nice to you right whereas right. brandon gets like gift baskets <laughs> yeah um there is there is some um, some data out there that yeah you know a, a lot of people say they like their their primary care doc but a lot of people are unsatisfied with it and, and it, obviously it 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 translates to those seven minute visits and, and for sure that, well everything kind of gets experience. blamed on the doctor right? right so you can't get in in time you're mad at the doctor you had to wait a long time you're mad at the doctor you didn't have enough time and your visit to address everything and they're making you come back for a follow-up appointment and you're mad at the doctor like it's the doctor's fault and i'm telling you none of that is what that primary care doctor wanted to do when they went into primary care your right. primary care doctors are the ones who care the most right. <laughs> you know because they cared more about you know you know relationships with their patients and and primary care and wellness than all the other doctors going into other fields i mean that's a not that the other doctors don't care, but I'm just saying like to take the hit of everything you have to deal with in primary care, those are the best people. <laughs> right. Right. And you just get, there's like no respect in the field. <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the other trend um, that I wanted to, to put on the table today is, um, and, and it's, it's, it's related to what we've been talking about. So you had that experience um, coming out of residency of working for within a, a family practice clinic that was under the umbrella of a, of a huge healthcare mm -hmm. system. So mm -hmm. you had all of those, um, you know, 2000 plus patient panels and, you know, right. 15 minutes for an appointment with seven minutes face to face. And all. Yep. so you had a taste of that. What also now is happening and that, so that, that trend of, of big healthcare systems buying up, you know, family practice, um, family pra medicine practices had, had been going on for, you know, 10, 15 years prior to, to you yeah. uh, getting into it. What is now being added um, are these big corporations buying also, you know, primary care practices and, and doctor groups. Yes. Um, so there's, there's two in particular that, that caught my eye. Um, one was um, CVS Health, which is, <laughs> yep. which is, part of Aetna now, um, paid about $11 billion to buy Oak Street Health, mm -hmm. which is a, a growing chain of primary care centers, employs doctors in 21 states. And then Amazon bought 
one medical which is another large doctors group for nearly four billion yeah and they're trying to do they're everyone's trying to and is going to try to capitalize on this whole personalized and whatever theme but you are going to get the exact same corporate medicine no no doubt about it What, what, what i found interesting is the reason they are interested in primary care docs is that primary care docs are the feeder system to the specialties and to the yes. pharmacy. Yes. You know, so you think system. that we would be the most respected because you think specialists <laughs> need our referrals and everything. Well, you know who yeah. respects you is the big corporations because they, they understand that now. Now, they're not going to pay you, but they do. <laughs> no, so they don't they respect, respect you as you. a group. Yeah, no, they don't respect you because, again, like you said, they're not going to pay you and they're going to have you see all of these. Um, right. They've, they, they, well, sorry, let's say, let's say they value what you can do for them. Yes, yeah, then they will take advantage of you. Respect. Yes. Um, yes. But and 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 the other reason is related to what's happening with Medicare Advantage programs. Yeah. And, and all that and how I mean because really the most lucrative patients are, are older patients. Right. So yep. if you can get. Medicare Advantage patients into your, you know, and get them hooked up to your primary care system, then that is going to mean a big pot of money to draw from when they have kidney issues and heart issues and lung issues and all of that sort of thing. And I mean, you, and exactly. So, and think about how sad that is. Um, And that's the same reason why, again, patients get so like frustrated as if we have anything to do with it around certain medications to prevent you know, for example, just the weight loss injectable medications and how they're not covered by any insurance and they're so expensive, but don't, why don't we go down the road of who's ultimately responsible for this kind of stuff, the insurance companies, um, because they could cover it, you know, like this stuff could be more accessible and cheaper, but where they don't have, there's not an incentive, right. To, to cover this kind of stuff, but they'll treat, they'll treat you when you get the diabetes. Like if you have diabetes, then you can get the medications. But from our standpoint of what the, what actually matters is the patient not getting diabetes from their obesity. Right. right? But treating that preventatively. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's probably plays into why the U S spends more per capita on healthcare than any other developed country mm-hmm. and gets worse outcomes. Yep. Because it's just a business. Well, and and because it's so focused on, um, uh, um, so under focused, let's say on um, on preventative, and right. so let's say over focused on treating sick, sick the, care. Yeah, yeah, sick care. You got it. So the, we're gonna. I know you're you're uh, a little tight on time as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I'll wrap up with 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 uh, one. You know, we've been. It's been a, a downer of a, as, as some of our podcasts. <laughs> I should go. say <laughs> now. I should say all of the negative stuff around, you know, what, how primary care doctors feel um, and how we're treated. And, you know, that was pre direct primary care practice. So I do not, I feel very happy with my patient population. (laughs) This is not a reflection on now. Now I, you know, I feel very much um, like people value what I have to say and I'm able to treat people appropriately and people seem, you know, grateful for, the care and all that stuff. This is all just about what the other 95% of the population. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad you made that differentiation. (laughs) So cool. You still would take a little more respect in general, but 
and yes, a little more pay, but it, in terms but it's of okay. in terms of job satisfaction, work life balance, it's 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 yes. working out for you. Yes. Good, good point. So um, um, I wanted to end on it on an upbeat note and just and just say I think that AI, artificial intelligence, is going to solve all of this primary <laughs> care problem. We're going to have primary care bots and robots that are going to have great bedside manner, great interpersonal <laughs> so skills, take over our, unbelievable our diagnostic skills and treatment skills. Yes. Uh, and so if I were you, but then you really don't even need us anymore. Well, that's what I was going to say. If I were yeah. you, I would start looking for an alternative. Yeah. Position, like maybe auto mechanic or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. um, no, I think that AI will be very helpful for um, primary care just because of the amount of the volume of information, whether it's a patient's history or medical information that is changing on a daily basis um, that we have to keep up with. Again, I think about how if I was super subspecialized, I could know everything about that thing that I do and I would always be up to date, but you just cannot know it all about everything. So AI is nice um, in the sense that they're able to at least kind of consolidate information and pick out pertinent things. And um, it will be interesting to see kind of where it fits. But again, all of these businesses who are going to be investing in this are doing it in order to make Make money. money. So that's going (laughs) to come at likely cutting down medical doctors in primary care and using AI plus advanced practitioners instead, stuff like that will be in the pipeline. Right. And I right. just, for a, a long time, um, AI plus a real doctor probably is going to give the best. Absolutely. Yeah. I just want patients to be aware, you know, just look up the difference in training and look up what goes into training when you are looking for your primary care doctor. Um, just because you want someone who is fully, versed in everything that can kind of come your way and what you go through for medical school and residency there's nothing that kind of comes close yeah cool cool okay well i appreciate um you diving into to this with me and Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully our listeners got a lot out of it and um of, um, I think it was a, a good deep dive into just primary care in general, but de- definitely direct primary care. And I'm glad to hear that you are happy that you did not stick with surgery. Yeah. Surgery. Yes. No, there are no regrets there. I think it's awesome. I love to do procedural based stuff, but you know, my, I, I love being able to pick up my daughter most days from school. Yeah. So. Personally, my I I do miss the stories that I used to hear from you coming out of your you know residency in the <laughs> trauma have, trauma it, bay right particularly e, in the ER yeah. and trauma and whatever but uh, gory but interesting story, stories yeah. so cool well go get back to your busy life um, appreciate <laughs> your your uh, your time and we'll uh, we'll connect again soon love you all right love you too bye bye. Thanks again for listening. You can visit the doctorandad.com, that's spelled T H E D R A N D D A D.com, for show notes to any of our podcasts, as well as other useful info on extending health span. Now, the legal disclaimer. 
This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. And no doctor-patient relationship is formed. Use of this information in show notes is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not should not disregard or delay taking medical advice or treatment for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professional for any such conditions. We also want you to know that we take no funding from any product or service that may be mentioned on the Doctor and Dad podcast.